Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH and 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. A soft on crime judge goes easy on a father accused of raping his minor daughter over the course of several years. It's a very disturbing story and it's one that's trending. What's trending? Legal. The story comes out of Tenino where the police department as well as the prosecuting attorney's office out in Thurston County, say that they were contacted by a mother who accused her ex-husband, Kenneth Douglas Gertst, of raping her minor daughter over the course of several years. The allegation is that the sexual conduct started when this poor girl was nine years old, going all the way through the age of 14. She's now 15. And there was enough evidence for the Thurston County prosecutor to file multiple charges for sex crimes, including rape of a child in the first degree. He was officially charged yesterday. But I went over, before getting the charging documents from yesterday, I went over the probable cause document. That's where you list all of the police narrative that they were able to collect over the course of the investigation and it is explicit it is shocking you know i say it's a disturbing story i don't even know if disturbing does this story justice because the detail that is alleged in the probable cause documents is just it's nauseating And I can tell you, because I'm not going to read even remotely close to what's listed in this document. It's that grotesque. There were parts that, you know, when we talk about grooming and whatnot, when we talk about the manipulation of an adult with nefarious intent on a minor, it seems to check all of those boxes. It explains that the victim was told that she, quote, cannot tell my mom about it. And that she was repeatedly praised as a good girl for allowing the sexual contact. She alleges, according to this probable cause documents, that Gertz would distract her with cartoons during sex so she wouldn't focus on the pain that he caused her. That's what's in this document, along with some very specific and explicit documents or documentation. And when the mother found out about it, she kicked him out of the house. At one point, according to the probable cause document, Gertz tried to manipulate the mother by saying, quote, telling her they will all go to jail for this, trying to convince her not to do this. The young girl, the victim in all of this, she begged not to reveal what happened. That was part of the trauma that she went through and the manipulation that she suffered from, allegedly. And on top of that, police say they've got video and photographic evidence that corroborates parts of the victim's allegations. And these are sexually explicit photos and videos that they recovered from an iPod or a cell phone of some kind. Now, this to me is egregious. I I imagine there's not a single person who's listening right now who doesn't find this story incredibly egregious and Even though, of course, we acknowledge that everyone is innocent until proven guilty, you would expect that this would be taken very, very seriously. So the Thurston County Prosecuting Attorney's Office 
they got in front of a judge, Superior Court Judge Sharonda D. Amillo. And she found probable cause for, at the time, three charges. Overall, I think, as of yesterday, it's six overall charges. But at the time, she found probable cause for three charges. Now, the prosecutor said, look, we want to get $250,000 bail for this guy. He's very clearly a danger, according to the evidence that we have, that we've presented in front of you, that you agree offers probable cause. But the judge, Sharonda D. Amillo, or Amillo, she looked at all of this and said, eh, I mean, 250. Now, to me, I would have said 250, that's all. But she said, no, that's too much. Let's go down to 10,000. She brought it down from $250,000 to $10,000 bail. Now, that means all he had to do was put up $1,000, which he was able to do, thus being released from jail. And that release prompted the Tenaino Police Department to put out a press release and a tweet calling attention to this. Calling attention to what I think most people would look at and say, this is a disturbing example of the soft on crime approach at work. A soft on crime approach towards a suspect that seems to be a very serious threat. Not just to other people in the community, but to this victim. I think most reasonable people would come to that conclusion. Now, of course, this isn't the only what appears to be soft on crime approach from a judge towards an alleged danger to the community that we've covered out of Thurston County in just the last week and a half. What was it last week? We told you about that 18 year old driver from Puyallup who allegedly stole a car. He ends up getting seen by a sheriff's deputy near Olympia Airport. That law enforcement officer suspected the driver of DUI because of the way that he was driving on the road, allegedly. But according to the sheriff's office, they say once they try to interact with this driver and pull him over, he took off. He took them on a near 100 mile per hour pursuit. And at the time, he had five teenagers with him in the car, they say. Now, eventually, he gets into not necessarily a crash, but he falls into sort of this ditch almost. And he ends up fleeing the driver, fleeing from the vehicle. It's caught on surveillance footage or body cam footage, which we posted online. And you can see, of course, the sheriff's deputies going after him. They eventually catch him and the others, or at least a couple of the others, in a honey bucket over at what we believe is a construction site. So they end up making the arrest. They end up pursuing charges. Now, the Thurston County Superior Court Judge, Allison Zip, she noted in the paperwork that this 18-year-old suspect posed a substantial danger. That's a direct quote. Substantial danger. What was the substantial danger of? That he would, quote, commit a violent crime. And yet, despite that, She decided to release him without any bail whatsoever on his own personal recognizance. Just a promise that you'll show up again to a future court hearing. Now, this kid ended up spending less than 21 hours in jail. It's frustrating. It's a morale hit. It's a morale hit for us. I think it's a morale hit for the community. Um, It's a morale hit for the next stolen auto theft victim. Now, that's Sheriff Derek Sanders speaking to King 5. Obviously, when you do this kind of work, dangerous work that takes your deputies on a 100 mile per hour pursuit 
and you have to spend resources, pull in a whole bunch of other officers, because I believe at the time they ended up pulling in officers from a different jurisdiction to help, you're going to be pretty ticked off. As someone who understands the threat that these people pose, you're going to be very concerned about the community and the community safety. In my opinion, right, it is not excessive. It is not unreasonable to require some bail, um, to require that some person who doesn't live here, who's committed a crime that is escaping in nature, be required to post, to post some sort of bail. That's, that's not excessive to me. It's not excessive to anyone. What he just said is entirely reasonable and, frankly, logical. And yet both of these cases, to different degrees, because one crime is clearly more egregious as the other, as alleged, these are cases that exemplify the soft on crime approach that too many judges take. We have a state filled with judges who are not very judgmental. They refuse to judge. They're not judgy. They look at these individuals and they show what I believe to be a callous disregard for the purported victims, for the police that work really hard to mitigate these threats, and for the community. Because when you have people who we believe to be dangerous based on allegations against them that seem very credible... You're putting everybody else at risk when you say, yeah, we're going to let these people go, whether it's due to no bail or very low bail. And I write about this issue extensively in my forthcoming book, What's Killing America, published by Center Street. I cover this extensively because it's not just Washington State that's being impacted by this. But here in Washington, we often have judges who try to justify their bail decisions, or lack thereof, by pointing to Washington court rules and state law. And they'll tell you that the court rules requires a, quote, presumption that the defendant be released without posting bail. That's usually the argument that's given. That's part of the court ruling or the court rules. And that's true. It is. But there's also three exemptions that could apply to any case that would then get a judge to say, okay, I am allowed in this case to offer bail of varying degrees based on the history of the individual, based on the allegations against him or her. Because that same rule also says that you can impose bail if, number one, and I'm reading directly from the law or from the rule, number one, the court determines that such recognizance will not reasonably assure the accused appearance when required. Or two, there is shown a likely danger that the accused, A, will commit a violent crime, or B, seek to intimidate witnesses or otherwise unlawfully interfere with the administration of justice. Now, that first one, let's push aside and let's focus on those part two, A, B, and C. Those three pieces, because I think that they certainly apply here in both of the cases. There was shown a likely danger that the accused, one, will commit a violent crime, two, will seek to intimidate witnesses, or three, otherwise unlawfully interfere with the administration of justice. Could you not, based on just the details that were outlined by the prosecutor, 
say that those concerns are reasonable to hold as a judge? I would say yes. It is nearly impossible to make sense of either of these decisions in the context in which they're presented by the prosecutor and by the police. It's hard to make sense of these decisions because judges don't comment on pending cases. Unfortunately, they rarely comment on cases ever at any point. Making it very difficult to either hold them accountable because their silence helps kill, I think, important stories. Or makes it impossible to understand if maybe they had some reasonable justification that we just don't see. And while I struggle to see what could possibly justify a $10,000 bail amount for someone who's accused of such an egregious crime, is it possible it exists? Sure. Sure. Maybe there's something we're missing. We're basing all of this off of the prosecutor and the, in this case, Tenino Police Department. Okay, if there's something else, I'd like to know what it is. But of course, we don't ever hear from these judges. They don't say anything. And it also, I think, does a disservice to the importance that bail serves. It serves the victim, it serves the community, and it serves the accused. When someone is a legitimate danger, such as someone who police and a prosecutor believes raped a minor over the course of several years and then manipulated her into silence, the alleged victim and the community, again, I think this is kind of obvious to everyone, we benefit with a high bail that keeps the suspect locked up or be such a significant amount of money. If they do in fact post bail, it could help disincentivize them from recommitting a crime or violating the terms of the bail agreement. But regardless of the bail amount, it could also create a support system for the accused. For example, this 18-year-old kid, I say kid, he's obviously an adult, but you get what I mean. He might have stolen a car, right? He might have taken deputies on a high-speed pursuit. That's the allegations seemingly backed up by the video evidence. I would argue maybe this is the kind of person who could use some responsible adults in his life. Now, that 18-year-old is unlikely to have cash bail, right? Let's say it was $10,000. Your average 18-year-old have an extra $1,000 laying around? Probably not, which means they're going to rely on usually a family member, sometimes a friend, but a family member, a mom, a dad. Well, that mother or father will then make sure to the best of their ability that the suspect follows the rules of the bail, doesn't get into any more trouble, and has provided some sort of support to ensure that they do everything the right way moving forward. Because they don't want to lose that money. They don't want to be on the hook for that. And of course, they don't want to lose their loved one to a jail sentence. Now, are there some bad families out there? Yes. 100%. But I've I've spoken to so many bail bonds agents who have very similar stories. And the theme is always, yeah, I've heard from a lot of the people that actually ended up getting charged with something, posted bail, saying, you know what, that was probably the best move for me because it created the support system. They certainly hear it from family members. Now, unfortunately, all of this is happening 
in the context of a much bigger fight that we've been having in earnest post-George Floyd since mid-2020. We have progressive abolitionists fighting harder for the criminals than they are for the victims because these are people through their extreme ideological view. They believe criminals are victims and victims are not. The criminals are the real victims of a system of oppression that's steeped in white supremacy, blah, 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 blah. That's what they believe. And so what they've done over the course of the last two and a half years in a very significant way and have had success, they've been able to push for cashless bail across the country, including here in Washington. They called the whole bail system racist and classist. They, they never explain if it matters whether or not someone who is accused of a crime is a legitimate enough danger to justify high or no bail. They never really take a position on that. But they're able to pressure judges or lawmakers to move forward with this. Now, in the instances in which they can't get that done, because there are some great judges out there, what do they do? They raise money and then they spend it indiscriminately indiscriminately on the bail for individuals that they don't go into their background. They don't look into the case. They don't look at the criminal's history before making a judgment. What do they look at? They look at their little intersectional checklist. They look to see whether or not the individual is BIPOC, quote unquote, whether or not they're a, a gender identity minority. They look at whether or not the individual is either extremely low income or homeless. And then they just say, oh, I'll pay for that. The intersectional checklist demands it. That, of course, is dangerous. And we've talked a lot about that over the course of the last couple of years, two and a half years. Some of these bail groups. And of course, they only seem interested in this issue because their end goal is to dismantle so-called systems of oppression. They don't think about the unintended consequences or, frankly, the intended consequences. They don't care. They are blinded by their ideology. And I'm not going to pretend that they mean well, that their hearts are in the right place, because I don't think they are. I don't think they're in the right place. I think they realize what it is they're doing, but they're so stubborn, they're so recalcitrant, that they have no interest in considering the impacts of their activism. They belong to the cult of progressivism or abolitionism. That's what they believe, and they don't seem to care. If they do care, they're doing a really bad job of explaining why they continue to push forward with this activism that so clearly hurts communities. And by the way, hurts the people who are accused, who otherwise might actually finally get some help. And then on top of that, when you have the judges who seem to want to placate these activists from the radical left, we should all be alarmed. We should all be alarmed. Because it ends up resulting in a guy who's accused of raping his daughter from between the ages of four, or excuse me, nine and 14. Just being released on low bail. Or an 18-year-old who allegedly takes police on a dangerous vehicular pursuit with teenagers in the car. That could have ended poorly. But he doesn't have to pay any bail. Yeah, we'll just release him. Now, I made you the promise several times 
that when we get the names of judges, we're going to make sure that you know them. Because the majority of the judges that we talk about on this show are ones that voters put into their positions. Sharonda Amimo, Amamio or Amamillo, she was someone who got elected in 2022, or no, excuse me, 2020. So she got elected 2020. There's someone who's listening to me right now in Thurston County who voted for her. Probably not knowing anything about her, but I like her name. It's, I like her bio. Her picture is nice. Without doing any research. Don't feel bad for doing that because everyone has done it. But maybe commit to doing some more research next time before you vote. Because I would rather you not vote on some of these races than just vote because this person has a kind face. Oh, I, I have a, an aunt named Sharonda. I'm going to go vote for her then. Don't do that. But those races matter. And what drives me nuts is when you look at some of these races that are uncontested. That's ridiculous. Even, by the way, when it's a judge I might like or anyone I might like. I think when you have uncontested races, it's very easy to get complacent and stop caring about the community and what they think and what's best for them. This is disturbing, and it's going to continue. It's going to continue until we say enough is enough. How many people are finally saying enough is enough? It feels like it's growing, but we're certainly not there yet. And tonight, I know in particular, you've seen people speak up and say, no, 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 no. This was, of course, the, the center of one of the controversies around releasing sex offenders, only to have a judge who, well, we know what side she seems to be on. And again, if there's something that we're missing here and the judge wants to say, hey, you're not thinking of this. Okay, great. Tell me. I reached out to your office. Haven't heard back yet. Sharonda. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, change pace a little bit. We have a new contender for mother of the year. We're going to get to it when we come back. Don't forget our friend and local tax advocate and expert, Greg Nunn. And none better tax resolution. He is growing and he's looking for tax specialists to hire. So if you're passionate about fighting for taxpayers, you're interested in a job with Greg Nunn, give him a call. 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N, none better tax resolution. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. Thank you so much for tuning in on this Tuesday afternoon. I have to say, do sort of polar opposites as far as parents are concerned. We went from one just, again, accused, but horrific human being to one who deserves, at a bare minimum, some kind of Mother of the Year award, at least from Colorado. There might be some other great mothers out there who we haven't yet seen possibly illegally uh, record secretly uh, a conversation with an administrator. I don't know what the laws are in Colorado, if it's a two-party consent state for recording. Uh, but I sure am glad that this unnamed mom, I haven't seen her named anywhere, but I've seen her 12-year-old kid named. His name is Jaden. They live in Colorado Springs. And Jaden was kicked out of class for having a don't tread on me patch, the, the Gadsden flag. It was on his backpack. 
And there have been lots of truly ignorant people, including those in the media, pretend that the Gadsden flag is somehow an offensive symbol. In fact, the school's director via emails that were put out by the Libertas Institute claimed that it was this, this symbol was, quote, disruptive to the classroom environment. Simply having this badge, this patch, was disruptive to the classroom environment. And the school claimed that it was an unacceptable symbol. Why? Because, of quote, it is tied to the Confederate flag and other white supremacy groups, including patriot groups. Now, I don't know if they're talking about like patriot prayer or just groups that are patriotic. Couldn't quite tell. Now, again, in these emails, the director argued that the flag is associated with hate groups. And to prove this, there was a link given to this mother from an article by The Conversation, which is just some silly blog. And it cites what they call a graphic design scholar. Oof. The heck is that? A scholar? That's the kind of, of that's, graphic design. That that is the kind of job your parents won't ever brag to their friends about and probably just make something. They probably just will go with, oh no, he's a graphic designer. It's actually a doctor of graphic design. I'm a doctor of design in a graphical form. And this graphic design scholar claimed that quote. Some may now see the Gadsden flag as a symbol of intolerance and hate. Or even racism. Oh, well, some might see it that way. Well, if some see it that way, let's just give in. Let's just assume that that's fact. Because some people hold that view. So the family took this issue to a local NBC affiliate. But because it's a local NBC affiliate, they're all like, yeah, we're not interested in doing anything with this. So it eventually got to, to the Libertas Institute, which originally put the story out. There was a source for all of this. And it's since been picked up nationally, mostly by conservative outlets. But it's been, the video has been all over X and Facebook and Instagram. Because the mom, along with the son, ended up confronting one of the school administrators. She, the mother, records a good chunk of the conversation. He's, what's going to happen if he doesn't take it off? And by the way, we found out Colorado is one party consent, so she's not as much of a rebel as I thought. She she legally recorded. I mean, he is able to go. I was actually just telling him, like, I was upset that he was missing so much. This is the administrator. School. I'm like, ah. So I asked if can he just take his stuff out of his bag and go back to class. Like, I just want him to go back to class. The bag can't go back. It's got a patch on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I was trying. And then he said you were close. So it can't even be around kids. Like, it's mere presence, even if you don't see it, but it's just there. It's kind of like It Follows, which, by the way, was an STD. It's just like, that, that's how the movie ended. It was an STD. Wasn't it basically herpes? Wasn't was herpes just killing people? I have no idea. <laughs> Did anyone see It Follows? Just the, the mere idea that it is somewhere within the vicinity of children who don't know what it is, by the way. This one 12-year-old is probably the only kid at this school who knows what a Gadsden flag is and some I guarantee you it was a teacher or some staff member who pretended to be offended by this do they think the snake is real yeah maybe it was, we can't have a good pets on camp well don't it's cut in multiple pieces it's dead 
relax. Yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like, that wasn't... That's the revolution. Maybe you're thinking of, like, the... Um, the Confederate pet, our Confederate flag? <laughs> okay, I, so, I am here to enforce the policy that was provided okay. by the district, okay. and definitely you have every right to not agree with it. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, the absolutely. ACLU says that he's allowed to wear that. If you, like, go on their website, it like, says in big so, letters. I, all, I, all I'm saying is that unless there's like a ban on patches, period, like you said, there's no patches allowed at the school. You cannot display what you think or anything like that, or what cheer or anything yep. like that. Um, I, I don't. I think it's like one-sided. In other words, it's viewpoint discrimination, which is very clearly and obviously illegal. As a public school, you can't decide that we're not going to go with this political conduct or content, but we will go with that other one. Which is a point she's about to make. You know, because you allow some patches, but not other, other patches. Other kids have patches, like other names, and like the American flag backpacks. Yeah, that was like flown during the revolution. But um, yeah, I, I just don't understand that at all. God bless this mother. Seriously, this is a good mother. A good mother because she raised a son who cares about political issues. He's obviously making a political statement with the Gadsden flag unless he's all like, I just like snakes. I like the color yellow. But something tells me that's not the case. This is a kid who is trying to make a point. One that staff members either don't agree with or they are, in fact, ignorant as to what the Gadsden flag is. They wouldn't be the only one. Who's ignorant? I can't remember if it was Cairo 7 or King 5. There was a story in Enumclaw. I can't remember where it was. We did about a month and a half ago where there was a white supremacist flag left on a fence next to an LGBT message. And they said, oh, we got to take them both down because there's a Gadsden flag. And the story just said it was a white supremacist symbol. I was like, what is it? Because they don't show it in the actual package. They never explain what it is. And so I did some digging, and it turned out to be a Gadsden flag. I'm like, that is not a white supremacist simple. It isn't. But people seem to believe that it is. The same people who claim that a blue line or a blue, um, blue Lives Matter flag is somehow white supremacist and racist. It's just absurd. So here's the update that we got courtesy of the Libertas Institute. Who clearly, as an organization, clearly they're siding with this mother and amplifying her because it's very easy for any parent, any parent, to just say, ah, let's let's just not make a big fuss about it. Just take the patch off. Yeah, they're wrong, but let's just take the easy way, the the, the way of least resistance. You don't want them giving you a hard time. You're only 12 years old. You're going to be at the school for a while. We don't need them messing with you. You don't want to become that kid, quote unquote. Which is a fear that I think is reasonable. Jaden went back to school today. And he's not removing the patch. He's keeping it on his backpack. We don't know what happened as a result yet. But last I heard, he was there and said he would do a protest, a sit-in, if he needs to. We can tell you that there are two law firms that have stepped up and said, Oh, we will help you if you want us to. You just give us a call. 
sounds like the parent and the kid will be on Hannity later tonight. So will I. Maybe we'll be in a sep- the same segment. I'll back this kid. We've yet to see any response from the school. I've been following this story all day or the district. Haven't seen anything. I'm willing to bet that they're too scared at this point to do anything. So maybe they're letting it just sit around for a bit. Maybe next week they'll do something. But uh, I'll tell you this. As much as I don't like the policies of Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, he's pretty far to the left. He spoke out in favor of this kid. He spoke out against the school in a tweet where he said the Gadsden flag is a proud symbol of the American Revolution, an iconic warning to Britain or any government not to violate the liberties of Americans. It appears on popular American medallions and challenge coins through today. And Ben Franklin also adopted it to symbolize the union of the 13 colonies. It's a great teaching moment for a history lesson. Now, whether or not his office has put any pressure on the school, we don't know. Maybe this is enough to put some pressure on the school. They're clearly on the wrong side of this. But thinking about folks at home who've got kids who are kind of like Jaden, kind of mini Ben Shapiro's in the making or mini Jason Rance's in the making. Because he had a little look on his face when he said, did you catch that? He had just a little uh, I look. I definitely saw that. Like, ooh. Look, definitely more Shapiro than we, you. We are. We're dropping the hammer on this teacher. And I'm looking just a little bit right at the camera saying, wink, wink. I know that we're recording and I'm going to put on a good show. And he did it for the right reasons. That's the thing. He, he, The mother, I think, is doing this for the right reason. She's not being petty here. This is about her kid. And she's fighting for not just her kid's right, but... So the child knows what his or her rights are. Parents need to step forward. It's not just about this kid. When something happens that's very clearly wrong, in this case, I think clearly illegal, you want to send a message that you're going to have your kids back. That's what strong parents do. And again, it's easy and understandable to take the path of least resistance on this sort of stuff. I get it. I totally get it. But when you step forward, when you step up, you find a lot of people on your side. There's no doubt that today this mother and Jaden probably feeling pretty supported. They're probably looking at the coverage that they've received. They're probably looking at, again, if he's actually going on Hannity tonight, just that invite. They're looking at that and saying, you know what? People have my back. I'm I'm more convinced than ever I'm on the right side. I always knew it, but you know what? It feels even better when people step up and take my side and amplify our message. And I guarantee you that there's another parent out there, probably many, who've had similar instances at their kid's school where, you know, kid wears uh, my pronouns are normal or whatever that shirt is, getting in trouble. The kids who wear a MAGA hat to school and they end up getting called out by their teacher or just simply an American flag T-shirt, which are kind of gaudy. But you, they get in trouble for doing something like that, like God forbid. And now they're saying to themselves, you know what, I should have pushed back, too, because more people were on my side than I realized. That it's not just some lonely experiment in pushing back against an all-powerful school. So mother of the year right there, whatever her name is. We'll find out tonight on Hannity. I'm going to go with, I hope it's not Karen. That would be unfortunate. That would be quite funny. Eh, but that's unfortunate. 
Well, the kid's name is Jaden, so if it's going to be Karen, it's probably like K-A-R-Y-N. It's probably like a cooler spelling. Because Jaden's a pretty, right? You think that's an edgy name? Kind of. Isn't it? Jaden? J-A-I-D-E-N? I I don't know. That sounds kind of... I guess. Well, it's better than Max. I didn't say it wasn't. Maximilian over there. I wish it was that. No, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. That you would never live that one down. That's nonstop making fun of you. Maximilian, you're too poor to be a Maximilian. That's like a rich person's name. I'm going to turn off my mic for the rest of the show. Please. 1 800 465 for your text. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. Welcome back to The Jason Rancho. Thank you so much for tuning in. Marshawn Lynch. Last year, last August, was accused in Las Vegas of suspicion of drunk driving. And according to the Associated Press, he will face a trial, they believe to be two days, will be two days, in November. So coming up pretty quickly. And the first thing I thought was I don't like this guy. But the second thing I thought. Dude gets caught in a car that was inoperable at the time, and he appeared to be drunk and or high, right? Caught on video, body cam video. We'll play some audio in a second. It happened last August. This one seems like a pretty simple case, right? For both sides, you either can prove it or you can't. And it seems like one side just has to push the button play and see the body cam footage, and that's it. And yet, that trial doesn't start until November. Happened last August. So more than a year it's going to take to go to trial. Donald Trump's legal team in D.C., thanks to Tanya Chutkin, the judge, has to go over millions of documents. I think the number was like 11 million documents total. Tens of thousands of hours of video footage to go to trial in March. They just found out about the timeline last week. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but what did I see? The good seasons of the practice. Exactly. And Boston Legal. And Allie McBeal. Yeah. So I know a little bit about the law. That case seems way more complicated than the Marshawn Lynch case. Call me bias, if you will, but I'm just suggesting that one is a little bit more difficult than the other. No one sees it all like a little bit of an imbalance here. Just like a little smidgen, just a little tiny bit. Nothing, no one. No one wants to admit that on the left. We're talking about it on the right, including, by the way, people who don't like Donald Trump acknowledging, yeah, this is not fair. This is way more than simply interfering with the election. You are trying to sandbag this for Donald Trump. That's what it appears to look like or appears to be to a lot of people. And I think, frankly, that is a reasonable observation, conclusion. I do. So why is that? Or is Marshawn Lynch getting celebrity treatment and Donald Trump doesn't? I don't know what the answer is. But it certainly seems like lawsuits take a really long time to actually get to the phase where it gets tried. And this one seems to be sailing through. Now, in fairness, 
I will at least say I'm assuming that due to a bunch of motions that will be made, they're not going to start jury selection on March 4th, that this will, in fact, end up being delayed some. But this is this is just absurd. So anyway, back to Marshawn Lynch, who I don't like if I didn't say it. He was found asleep at 7.30 in the morning last August behind the wheel of what police call an undrivable Ford Mustang. It had one front wheel missing. The real wheel was rear wheel was damaged and, quote, about to fall off. And that's when the officers approached Mr. Marshawn Lynch. Morning. How are you? He did the whole, I don't like to talk to people. He thought it was an, a reporter. And so unless you're forcing him to speak, he's not going to speak. Huh? You don't know. Why not? Well, because it's a very difficult question to answer. Sometimes you really don't know how you feel. You've got these complex emotions and you don't really know what word best describes it. Why did you get off his back? You know where you're at? Earth. Is this your car? No. It's not your car? <laughs> so it goes on and on and on. Why is this such an easy case? His lawyers argue that because he was not stopped by police while driving, it was parked. He can't be charged with DUI. But in Nevada, by the way, a person in the driver's seat can be deemed in physical control of the car. So Jason Rancho.